So what an interesting summer series, unique and insightful and formative, to talk about Jesus and the geography of where he lived and ministered. And it's just fascinating to look at all the different places that we've been to. And this evening, I want to take you, well, to a place I love. I've actually swam in it. Um, I love water. I grew up with water. I, I swam in high school and college, and I still love to swim. But the Sea of Galilee, unbelievable when you start to think about all of the life and the ministry of our Lord that took place in the Sea of Galilee and around it. Sea of Galilee, um, I have some facts about it. It's north of Jerusalem. It's also called the Sea of Tiberias. And here's the interesting things. It's 68 miles long, and it's 8 miles wide. It is up to 147 feet deep. It's 65 square miles of water. This ain't no pond. It's not Lake Wausau. This is a big body of water. In fact, the interesting thing, it's 699 feet below sea level. So it's the lowest body of freshwater body in the world. And it's here that we see Jesus doing his ministry in so many different settings. But this evening, what I'd like to do is I'd like us to journey to the Sea of Galilee and and experience three encounters one of the most important and well-known disciples had with Jesus. And I'm speaking about the fisherman, the apostle, the leader, the rock. His name literally is called Petra, Peter, the rock. And we want to just take time to experience what Peter experienced in the water, on top of the water, and by the water shoreline. So before we go there with Peter, let's take a moment to pray. Father, thank you so much for this evening, Uh, just the gift of being together, the gift of this opportunity to go to a place that, Lord Jesus, you loved, and you just cared for people, met people in so many different ways, whether it was the the multitudes that were the the feeding of the four or five thousand or the one-on-one encounters. And tonight, Lord, would you just make this adventure with Peter this journey come alive as we look at three different encounters that he had. Lord, thanks so much for your word, and thank you for your life in and through us, and we pray this in your name. Amen. So I want to begin with just a fascinating aspect of Peter's meeting Jesus and being called by Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever heard of this movie series called The Chosen. Some of you have. How they portray Jesus and how they portray this encounter of Jesus with Peter is absolutely captivating. Let's watch. My dear Lord, anything you ask, I will do. Follow me. I 
bien. I could watch that over and over again. Many of you are familiar with the story in the Bible, but to see it lived out there. Did you catch that early part where Peter's almost like insulted that this guy on the shoreline, who doesn't look much like a fisherman, says, hey, put your nets on this side. And then Peter said, oh, man, you have no idea. We fished all night, nothing. And it's the worst time of the day to fish. It's daylight. Everything's getting warmer. And you just watch. Jesus, keep looking at Peter. And the story unfolds. And it's really miraculous, all these fish. And you see the jubilation of Peter, James, and John. That's the one who came up and said, Rabbi, right at the close. And Jesus says to John, um, follow me, and James. And that changes their lives forever. So you have this call of Peter, but I don't want you to miss something that was powerfully demonstrated in the movie. Peter jumps out of the boat. You have no idea what's going on in his head, but what does he do? He falls to his knees and just bows his head because he doesn't know what to do with this one who just broke into his world and brought forth a provision and a miraculous catch. And what does he say? Depart from me, for I'm what? A sinful man. I'm a sinful person. And at this point, Peter says, I don't know who you are. He actually has a little idea because his brother Andrew has been telling Peter about Jesus. But did you hear what Peter said? Whatever you say. What do you want of me? Whatever you say. And Jesus, Jesus says, I want you to go to church. I want you to be reading the Torah. No. Jesus looks him in the eyes and just says, follow me. Follow me. And it was beautiful to see how they portrayed just how Peter, in a sense, his whole face and countenance just came to life. It's like he realized there's no other option. All that I've been doing is nothing compared to who you are and what you've just invited me to, and that is follow me. And so in your notes, this is Peter's call and what you have, the responsive yes this responsive yes, but men and women don't miss it. Peter says yes because he's had this encounter with Jesus Christ that leaves him undone. He realizes compared to Jesus, I'm a sinful man. I don't know how to live life. I'm a broken person. And Jesus doesn't say, well, clean up your act, buddy. Clean up your laundry before you can come with me. He just says, follow me. Follow me. And I'll make you fishers of men. When we encounter Jesus' presence, 
and power and person, and we are humbled and undone, we are then ready to say yes to his call, follow me. That's what's so powerful here, right in the world, right in Peter's world. This is not in the synagogue. This is not in some gathering. It's just Jesus finishing teaching a group of people. And here's this divine encounter with this crazy fisherman and his buddies. Well, what do you say yes to? You might want to write these down. It's a phrase I've used here with young adults before. You say yes to, here's the phrase, a lifelong love relationship. Lifelong love relationship with Jesus. Now, I'll be honest, I find myself meeting and, and observing some, not all people in the church who follow Jesus out of duty. Ain't a lot of love. And that's probably because your view and understanding of Jesus is probably, I heard the word wrong or distorted, what have you. And I just so want to capture us with this simple call to follow me means it is a relationship. It is not rules and regulations, and it's lifelong. And so I just encourage you, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, that this thing of saying yes to Jesus, to follow him, it's lifelong. It's not a fad. It's not something you try when you're, you're in your teens or a young kid, a child or you get in your 20s and oh, you get older life gets more complicated you become more cynical and you go and find something else uh-uh that's not what jesus is calling a man or woman to it's a lifelong love relationship secondly it's a life of obedience and submission you even saw that his obedience to him follow me yes i'll submit to you whatever and what's so fascinating, in this state of being undone and broken before Jesus, it was that posture of submission that allowed him to obey and surrender and say, yes, yes, I'm, I'll answer your call. I'll follow you. Wow. And finally, you're saying yes to what I call a life adventure beyond our imagination. I think it's really an adventure following Jesus. Now, be real careful, particularly my adventure um, adrenaline junkies in the room. It's not always this great high. Isn't it awesome to follow Jesus? In my spiritual life, it's just like this skyrocket going up. No, no. Jesus said it'll cost you your life. Just to read the New Testament, and, and Peter later on when he writes his letters... First and Second Peter talks about the motif of suffering. That men and women, it's an amazing adventure. It's an amazing adventure to follow Jesus Christ. What else are you going to follow? What else are you going to give your life to? I have to share with you, and some of you were here this last fall, but Connie and I, within five months of each other, celebrated our 50th spiritual birthdays. As first-generation Christ followers who were not raised in the church, and Jesus did had a head-on collision with both of us. And the reason I bring that up, it's been an adventure for 50 years, and I wouldn't trade anything in the world for it. 
It's not been easy. It's not always been comfortable. But it's been an adventure. I, I can't even imagine anything else or anything I'd want to give my life to. So here's my question to you. Jesus said, follow me. And Peter said this responsive, yes. And my question to you tonight is, have you heard the call of Jesus? And for some of you tonight, maybe even just watching this and listening to what I'm sharing, is that maybe your yes was not with your heart and with an absolute devoted love, but just sort of dutiful. And maybe tonight you are so clearly hearing Jesus' simple invitation, follow me. And then for what I've been praying for many of us, might the Lord give us sort of a fresh sense of his call in our life? And it's not just to follow him, but what it is, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In other words, Jesus gave Peter a purpose. So when you say yes to Jesus to following him, you also say yes to however he wants your life to serve him and give him glory. That's part of the adventure. And there's not one way of serving Jesus that is more important, more spiritual. It can be something so small, something behind the scenes, and yet you know this is what God made you for. Oh, that's the way to live, to say yes. All right, let's go to the second encounter. Oh, what an interesting encounter. It's an encounter in the middle of the night. It's not even on land. It's not even in a good situation. And we'll read in just a moment what's happened. Jesus just finished um, the, the feeding of the 4,000, and he sends the disciples into a boat to go across the Sea of Galilee, and he then takes time to get alone and be with his Heavenly Father. And these guys are in this boat. Remember, it's a pretty good-sized body of water, and there's some pretty terrible storms that happen on the Sea of Galilee, and the disciples are right in the middle of it. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 14. Unbelievable. You want to talk about these guys being desperate being in a life and death situation. And they've been struggling, and we're going to see that it's been a struggle throughout the entire night, and we come to 3 a.m., and they're fighting for their lives. Now, follow along as I read, starting with verse 22, Matthew 14. And immediately he made the disciples get in the boat and go ahead of them to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And after he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. Okay? Now, but the boat was already a long way from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. That's a nice way of saying it. The wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch, start your click at 3 a.m. of the night, he came to them, how? Huh? What's Jesus? How'd Jesus come there? A ferry? He's, no, he's walking on the water, walking upon the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened, saying, it's, it's a ghost! 
Well, they've already got the snot scared out of them by the storm, and now they see something really unusual. And they think it's a ghost. <laughs> and they cried out for fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Underline that phrase, if you would. Little side note, I don't care what storm you're in. Jesus does not abandon you. And if you're in the middle of a storm right now, tonight I pray these words of Jesus would so capture you. Take courage. It's I. Don't, don't be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Wait. It's only Peter who would be this crazy this just out of his head to do something that no human being has ever done. I have no idea what's motivating him. It's the midst of a storm, okay? The storm hasn't calmed down. And Peter's got in his head, Lord, you command me. So Peter's saying, it, it's got to be you here, okay? He says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Pretty bold, huh? And he said, Jesus said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Folks, this is not like put your little pinky in and say, oh, I think I can stand here. No, this is him getting out. Boy, I just wish I could. Sort of like Raiders of the Lost Ark, but no. Um, <laughs> my point is, he just starts walking toward Jesus. And I mean, I, sort of like we saw here, could you see Jesus maybe in the midst of the storm sort of smiling? Ah, the dude can do it. <laughs> and then, and then what are happening with the other disciples in the boat? We'll come back to them in just a moment. And Peter becomes the first water walker. Look at verse 30. What's the first word? Somebody yell it. But, but oh, seeing the wind, the storm, he began he became afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, took hold of him, and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped, which means the storm stopped. And at that point, those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, you are certainly God's son. <laughs> that, I would love to show a video of that as well. But here's this crazy disciple fisherman who said, yes, I'll follow you, who for some reason has this moment of saying, Jesus, tell me to come. And at that point, Jesus just says one word, come. Let's be very clear here. It was not Peter's determination. It wasn't even Peter's per se faith. It, it was the work of Jesus in just simply saying, come, that this miraculous moment, this metaphysical moment, when a human being could actually walk on top of water, happened. So this was not anything of Peter's doing. 
This was completely Jesus' work, his power being demonstrated to this one individual named Peter and 11 disciples who are freaking out because this guy did not go gloop. He's walking in the midst of this storm. What, what happened here? It looks like Peter had some courage and some faith to take a risk, to get out of the boat and walk. When Jesus calls you out of the boat, he's calling you out of your comfort zone. He's calling you out of the places where you feel you've got control. I have a good sense of what the future holds. I'm really, everything's going well for me. I feel like I, I, I can manage and predict my life. That's the boat. But there are times when Jesus calls us out of the boat. So my encouragement is to say yes when Jesus says come. When he says come. Secondly, I just can't imagine what's going on in Peter's mind when he took what? The first step. You know what that was? That was a step of faith. And I think most of us know faith is a pretty big deal to God. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's easy to have faith when you can control it and see it and all that bit. Now, here's the kicker. Go down five verses, Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, you can have faith when you're in the boat. Don't, don't misunderstand me there. But men and women, there are times when Master Jesus says, you got to get out of the boat. you got to take that first step. He said, no, Lord, no, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't have the money. What are my parents going to think? What are my friends going to think? Oh, no. And you have to take the first step. That takes courageous faith. So if you want to write in your notes, it's Peter's courageous faith, Jesus' invitation or command to come. And then you have this radical yes. It's radical because it's con- contrary to logic and to the, sometimes to, to the laws of, of physics, what have you. But God says, get out of the boat. Come, and you say yes, this radical yes. Now, isn't it interesting that Peter began to sink because he took his eyes off of who? Yeah, he took his eyes off of Jesus, and he was absolutely just sort of overwhelmed with the waves and the wind and the driving rain, whatever. It was a bad storm. And so if you're going to take a step out of the boat, and start walking toward Jesus, you better keep your eyes on him and keep your trust in him and your dependence on him. Because when you get distracted sideways, away from being fixed on Jesus, you're probably going to sink. You're probably going to sink. Now, here's a great phrase. 
Connie and I heard this years ago. This one's worth writing down. Keep your gaze on God and your glance on the storm and on the world. Keep your gaze on God and your glance on the storm and on God. You know, a great illustration is driving. I'm a bit of an ADD squirrel, squirrel <laughs> driver. Bugs the snot out of Connie. We won't, yeah, she's smiling. Oh my, yeah. Um, and um, you're taught to keep your eyes on the what? On the road. Keep your gaze on the road. And you can do peripheral. Keep your gaze on the road. And so men and women, to be a water walker, you got to keep your gaze on God. And keep your glance over here, even if it's stormy. And Jesus loves to live in the midst of the storms. It's just follow me. Keep your eyes on me. Trust me. So my question to you tonight is, are you a water walker or are you a boat hugger? See, we, we criticize Peter. Oh, you, you blew it, buddy. You sank. You cried out, Jesus, help me. But he still is the only human being that has ever walked in water. And out of obedience and love and crazy whatever, he got out of the boat. Eleven disciples, what, were boat huggers. And I just want, believe, and I've been praying for this message, that for some of you, you're in a place where you're comfortable. Not a whole lot is challenging you. You haven't had to stretch your faith. And then the interesting, I thought of this today, I didn't have this earlier, that some of us might feel like we're a bit stuck in our spiritual life. We're just sort of stuck with Jesus. You're either a little bored, you're a little passe, not a lot of emotion. You're sort of going through the motion. You thought the job would be better. You thought getting out of college would be better. You thought getting married would be better. You're just sort of stuck. And if God is speaking to you, get out of the boat and walk toward me. I believe he'll show that to you. And for some of you tonight, you're saying, oh, Fritz, this now makes sense. Because I got something cooking that I've not told anybody because they call me crazy. And I'm just saying to you, men and women, when Jesus says, come, get out of the boat and walk. Uh, here's the last one. It's Peter's restoration. If You want to write this in your notes. And it's what I'm calling the second chance Yes. Yes. Let me set the scene. It's the end of the Gospel of John, chapter 21. I'll give you the verses in just a moment. But before we get to this breakfast and this encounter by the Sea of Galilee with, with Peter and Jesus, we got to remember that just a little while before, this man, Peter, said, Oh, Lord, all else may deny you, but I'll stand by your side. I'm your man. And Jesus, with loving eyes, looks at him just before his crucifixion and says, You know, Peter, before the night is over, you will deny me three times, and the crow will crow. 
The rooster will crow, not the crow. And the rest of the disciples, oh yeah, we won't deny you. And you know the story. Peter denies Jesus three times. And when he hears that last denial and the rooster crow, he, it says the scripture says he went out and wept bitterly. It was the lowest moment in the life of this fisherman. So now, and I apologize, I don't have the reference here. Write down John 21, verses 1 through 17. To me, it's one of the most powerful encounters. Certainly in the life of Peter and the disciples, maybe one of the most powerful encounters we could have. Follow with me if you have your Bible. John 21, after these things, Janet, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, which is also the Sea of what? Galilee, thank you. And he messed himself in this way. There were together Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, who are James and John, and two other of his disciples. Pretty good posse of the disciples. Remember, Jesus has been crucified. Now he's risen but this movement of the church is just beginning. And what happens? Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll also come with you. Isn't it interesting? These men who'd spent three years with Jesus, and he told them, I'm going to raise this temple again in three days. He's appeared to them. And boy, they just sighed on 100%. I'm going fishing. You want to come along? It's like, wow, pretty short-lived devotion here. But remember, Peter's a broken man. He still remembers that rooster crowing. What happens? It's so good. <sighs> Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus was sort of hidden from them identifying him. Jesus therefore said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? Duh. They answered him, no. <laughs> Does that sound familiar? You think Peter's maybe, hmm. And he said to them, cast it down on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll find a catch. They cast therefore, and they were able, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. That disciple, therefore, whom Jesus loved, that'd be John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And so when Peter, Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he is stripped for work, and he threw himself in the sea. Sounds like Peter. He, nobody else is jumping in to get to Jesus. Probably Peter's a good swimmer. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. And when, so when they got out upon the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. I would love to have had Jesus make me breakfast. I think it'd be pretty good. And so when they got up on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to him, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave them 
and the fish likewise. This is now the third time Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So do you get the picture? Get this amazing moment that the, the, the fishermen have caught this miraculous catch. They encounter Jesus on the shoreline. They have breakfast together. It's just so real life. But now follow. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved, maybe a little frustrated too, because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, ten, feed, shepherd my sheep. Wow. Why is this so significant? Why is this Peter's restoration moment with Jesus? And we find out in this brief conversation, Jesus does two things by a question and by a statement that literally changed Peter's life. He asked the question, not once, not twice, but three times, Peter, do you love me? How many times did Peter deny? Three times. How many times did Jesus ask him, do you love me? Three times. You can write this down. Jesus is restoring Peter's relationship. Because right now, Peter is so broken, so feeling a failure. It's the Lord, I'll swim, but I'm a, I denied him. And Jesus, in this amazing moment, restores this disciple's relationship. And it wasn't like, hey, Peter, um, are you ready to go to, back to church? Are you going to go to young adult now? No, do you love me? Remember what we said, the call is a lifelong love relationship. And Jesus could have stopped right there, and Peter's in good shape. But that's not what our Lord does. Once Peter answers the question, yes, Lord, you know I love you, Jesus simply says, tend my sheep, shepherd my people, feed the flock. Here's your second phrase to write. Not only does Jesus restore Peter's relationship, he restores Peter's purpose. I'm not giving up on you. You're not washed up. Remember? This is the second chance yet. Wow. And I can't imagine what's going on in Peter's head and heart when Jesus is asking those questions, do you love me? It's like with this, this wave of confusion, guilt, and sense of shame and failure. Lord, you know I love you. I'm just such a screw-up. Well, not only do I love you, Peter, but I still have a calling a purpose for you. Tend and feed my sheep. Just one interesting comment here. There are times when God will ask us questions, sometimes through the scriptures, sometimes through a friend, sometimes in prayer or silence. 
for that question is a really tough one. It makes you uneasy. It makes you sort of like Peter, just bow down or get on your knees and say, oh, Lord, I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinful woman. And what's happening there is the work of the Spirit of Jesus called the Holy Spirit is bringing about conviction, a sense of heaviness that I'm, I've sinned against God. I've drifted from the Lord. I really want that lifelong relationship, but I'm in a place right now where I just feel out of sorts. I feel a bit distant. I feel convicted. That's what God does. But I'll tell you what Satan does, the enemy of your soul. He does not do conviction. The enemy of your soul does condemnation. How can you call yourself a Christian? You're no good. How can you be on the young adult leadership team? How do you think you'll ever get married? Hear the condemnation there? That is from the pit of hell. God does not condemn. God convicts. Do you hear the difference? Let that just stir your heart, capture your heart. And so tonight, I don't know where you're at. And maybe you're in a sweet spot with our Lord. But if you're in a place, and maybe you haven't denied the Lord three times, but you've been in a place where you've, you've wounded the honor and name and glory of God, the Lord says, do you love me? And then he gives you back a purpose. And he says, you're my son, my daughter. That's amazing. And that's what happened at the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And Peter went on to be the rock, be the pillar of the church, preaches the first sermon in the beginning of the church in the book of Acts. This sort of cowardly fisherman who goes back to fishing just becomes this fearsome follower of Jesus. And it's not a proven fact, but the legend is that Peter was crucified upside down because he did not want to be crucified like his Lord. That's the level of devotion and sacrifice. I am far, far from that. So men and women, this evening, the Sea of Galilee presents us these captivating encounters of Peter's call, Peter's responsive yes, Peter's courageous faith, where he, he basically says radical yes, I'll, I'm getting out of the boat. And then we see this amazing restorative moment where he basically just says, yes, I need a second chance. So here's how I like to close. I want us to take a few moments in prayer. And how I want us to do this is, and I need you to really just grab onto this. I want you to ask the Lord, do you have a fresh or first call for me? Secondly, do you want me to get out of the boat? And what is that? And third, is there anything in my life with you, that needs to be restored. It could be love, relationship, purpose, hope, confidence. But I just want us to take a few minutes, and I want you to bow your heads and just go before the Lord and just say, Lord, what do you have to say to me in those three questions? Fresh, first calling, where do you want me to get out of the boat, and what do you want to restore? And just listen. What stirs in your head? 
Maybe something comes to you. I don't know. I'm going to trust the Lord for this. But I just felt it was so important that we pause and allow God to meet each one of you individually and give to you what he has for you in this moment, this evening, on the basis of this message in this powerful context of the Word of God. So let's go to prayer. Lord, as my friends bow their heads, I just ask for your spirit to have absolute freedom, command of this room, attentiveness of minds, responsiveness of hearts. And let my friends now just lay before you and bring themselves before you the simple idea of a call and getting out of the boat and what you want to restore. Would you now just speak to my friends? Say to them what you want them to hear. Jesus, thank you that you meet us in so many different places, whether it's in this room this evening, later this week, or around the Sea of Galilee for a crazy fisherman named Peter. We're just so thankful that you call us to follow you. And there are times in our life when you ask us to get out of the boat. And there's times when you just, in a gentle way, say, do you love me? And you restore that relationship and you restore our purpose. So Lord, I commit to you what you've given to us tonight. Let our small groups not just be paint by numbers tonight. Let us have the courage, the guts to talk about how you've met us this evening. And we pray this in your name. Amen.